This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, as a reminder, this is part two of a three-hour conversation that myself, Josh, and Emily ended up having all about money. So if you haven't caught the first episode that came out last week, I would strongly recommend you do so before jumping into part two. Okay, here we go. I, okay. Okay, here's another thing that's rolling around in my head because I've heard multiple people talk about this within the last like couple weeks between like TikTok and a couple podcasts I listen to. Some people have been going down the rabbit hole of what's called modern, I think it's called this, modern monetary theory. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know a ton about it. I'm not an economist. I'm not an expert. But according to this economic theory, we no longer follow, like our money is no longer tied to something physical. And also, the ramification is that our taxes are no longer going towards, like, directly supporting the government because the government can just, like, spend what it wants to because it can functionally make more money and not, it's not tied to inflation anymore because our money is no longer tied to something physical like the gold standard. Mm. Oh, Mm -hmm. sure. I guess that's the ramifications of it. I'm not an expert, so, like, I, I can't, like, explain it much more than that. From what I understand, what... I've heard now what third hand and now you're hearing fourth hand. So (laughs) nice. Um, But like what I understand is that people who ascribe to modern monetary theory, and I I'm sure there's economists out there who do, they argue that the government functionally could just like add more zeros to our bank account and it would not decrease the value of our money because our money is not tied to something physical. Mm. So I was like thinking about that in terms of, like churches and stuff and like whether or not this is not an exact parallel. So forgive the long run around here, but I was thinking about like, wow, what if we are like, what if we still have these old ideas about money and how our money works when like, it's not true at all anymore. Like Mm. for instance, if modern monetary theory is true and we could just like up people's bank accounts and like give people enough money to survive on, and like we actually have an old idea about money that's not true anymore. What if there's some sort of equivalent in church finances where we have an old idea about money that is not true anymore, but we're acting as if it is? For instance, mm-hmm. I was trying to like parse out in my mind if the idea of congregational support is an outdated idea anyway, regardless of whether you're a megachurch or not. And the reason, the only example I could think of to support that argument was the Mormons. Mm, Say more. For instance, the Mormons actually go, so in my mind, I'm not a Mormon, so if there's any Mormons listening to this (laughs) and I'm getting this wrong, please correct me. I do not want to misrepresent your faith. But from what I've heard, Mormons do go so far as to say explicitly 
that salvation is tied to tithing, that they make it a religious requirement. They don't like beat around the bush and like make it this like social religious obligation. Like, no, you should. They go like so far as to say as like, you cannot be Mormon if you do not tithe. Mm -hmm. But regardless of that, which I think is super interesting, but regardless of that, the majority of their money does not come from tithing. Even though right. there's plenty of rich Mormons, they get, a, they get a significant amount of money from tithing because they require it for membership. And mm-hmm. I think theologically, they tie it to salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could be wrong about that. They tie it to salvation because there's, there's a lot of infrastructure built around uh, essentially getting access to the temple. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So unless you follow particular rites for a, uh, a defined amount of time, you won't be allowed to enter into oh. the ministry of the temple, which is when, like, when you get into the temple, you can be baptized for the dead. You can, like, be baptized yourself. You get recognized by the Mormon church as married. Like, there's a whole thing where it's right. like, you can, get, you can get married and sign a document at the courthouse, but in the eyes of the church, you're not married until you are married in the temple. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, there's a lot built around the temple structure, and I'm, I'm almost certain, I'm, like, 90% sure that that is how tithing gets tied to uh, the concept of salvation is like you can't fully right. represent your ministry on earth as a Mormon unless you are able to like enter the temple having checked off essentially like these predetermined numbers of essentially things that like get like earn you your ticket in, right in a way. So that's what I know. That's what I think right. I know at least. Mm-hmm. And I believe I could also be wrong about this. Um, so if I'm wrong about this, please someone fact check me, but I've been told also that most, if not all local Mormon ministers and leaders are all on a volunteer basis. Like they don't make extra money from the church at a local level, but uh like the, the higher up, like, I guess you could call it corporate structure, like the higher up levels who like run the church on a denominational level institutionally, they do make money. So but anyway, uh, well, we kind of I mean, went down a rabbit also, trail there. Sorry, they also but, get around that because they're able to essentially for free send missionaries out when they're 18 yeah. to 20. Yeah, there's also right. that whole thing. And all but the anyway, ministry gets done by volunteer say, young people. <laughs> right. But so I was thinking about this and I remembered too that the majority of Mormon money is not from tithing. It's from like stock investments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I just, I think that's really interesting that like the Mormons, A, go to like this extreme of like trying to religiously oblige people to tithe, like it is a requirement to be a part of the community, but also that's not where most of their money comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it got me thinking about like, whoa, what if this is like, regardless of how we feel about like the biblical interpretation of the tithe, because it's clear that the Mormons believe that there is biblical obligation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So regardless of what we feel about that, like what if what if we are still trying to perpetuate an outdated system of revenue for the church? Like if there's going to be an institution of the church, like why haven't Protestant or regardless of whether or not you're mm-hmm. Protestant, why haven't other Christian denominations gotten on board with other revenue streams besides tithing? Hmm. Like if the church is a business and I feel like we're kind of on the same page about that, even though other people might not be. But like, even if the church is a nonprofit business, like why haven't, why hasn't the church looked into other forms of income? And maybe they have, 
But yeah, maybe some have, but like by and large, they still hold on the to denominations this have old it, right? idea. Yeah. Ooh, I, oof. I, I know. Ooh. I know. Like, why isn't the church like buying Bitcoin or like unless? Well, I, I don't know. Some churches have, I guess, like some churches like rent out their properties for use or like oh yeah stuff like that. And I think that that we, could yeah. probably count. But I don't know. I think it's interesting to a certain extent. That's yeah. a possibility. I think. It almost ties back to our discussion earlier about how originalism factors in. It's almost like Ooh, you yeah. know the tradition of the church has been this for so long, so we uphold this because this might be the way the apostles originally set up the church in the first few centuries. Like this is how yeah, sure. this is the model they built, so we just follow it because we're we're following the uh, the tradition laid down f- by church fathers. You know, I think right. that's that's a possibility. That's not necessarily discounting. But also, like, tying it to modern monetary theory is very tough for me. Like, I'm also not an economist, but I think there are really valid arguments to be made and just basically show, like, yeah, this is this is why not being on a gold standard doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. exactly. And I know it's not a direct comparison because I don't know enough about modern monetary theory, but, like, that's definitely what sent me down the thought of what if what we're doing what if the model we're it's following outdated. is outdated and we shouldn't be following it? Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Oof. Can I bring us back to a concept that, uh, that Emily brought up was between these apportionments of the different conventions in her church where some it's like these, these very small churches that don't have a mega church to like offset their numbers. Like they're lucky if they hit this certain percent of their apportionment. But if it's a, a large conference, who's, like flipping a dime into the cup, like, oh yeah, here's mm-hmm. our full apportionment and here we go. Like that very much is Mark 12, like the widow's two mites yeah. uh, story. Do you mind if I read that real quick? It's really short. Oh, yeah. Mark. Go right ahead. It's very fitting. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury today. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Um, so the generosity laid to us for Christians. Josh, I like this concept of like, it's inherently transactional and I think we should probably get away of trying to not think of it that way Mm -hmm. should generosity as Christians, as modern Christians trying to follow the way of Jesus, like in red letters, what I just read here is that Jesus respects when generosity and giving becomes radically uncomfortable for the giver. Totally. So like Mm -hmm. there is a line in there where it's like that could start feeling like an obligation again, but like, what do we, what do we do with that? That Jesus seems to praise the fact that the widow was willing to put herself in even more economic jeopardy in right. order to give to this thing that she believes in. Whereas the other guys coming through giving to the treasury, they gave out of their abundance. They were like, Oh, you know, I can afford to give half my money away. Cause I can still live incredibly comfortably. Well, I mean, like that's the, that's, that seems like the, uh, the preachers think, and sneakers thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, those who have the abundance to give, those are actually the people that give out of obligation. Wait, what? Wait, no, what are you saying? Yes, they have the abundance to, and so 
they really could give their money to anything or keep it if they wanted. But they may feel obligated because they're like, oh, mm. I know people know I have this abundance. And so I'm expected to. Mm. Interesting. Uh, OK, so there's there's another spot in the Gospels where this is why Jesus ad- admonishes his followers to essentially like hide what your left hand is doing from the right hand so that a given secret do these things like on the down low so that you're not broadcasting essentially like yeah. your own righteousness through your gifts and through your your actions in the way you follow me and i think that's explicitly tied to prayer when he says that like pray alone you know like pray in a closet don't pray out in public and just make a show of it but i think that could be applied to money money. definitely for sure so sure so emily i think you're right i think people some people giving out of abundance maybe don't take the you know you know hide what the left hand is doing from the right Maybe if they're not taking that, then giving out of abundance starts feeling feeling like obligation. But mm-hmm. like we can't say zero percent of people in the world have an abundance and they don't give to the point of the widow making herself uncomfortable either. Right. Like, right. The two mites for her. It's it's a proportion thing again, which, you know, when it comes down to percentages and we're talking about tithing, like if it, if a tithe is 10 percent and that doesn't make you uncomfortable, maybe the tithe needs to be adjusted in order to make you uncomfortable and yet still dance that line of being cheerfully giving into like being uncomfortable and having the faith that you will be supported anyway. Right. Like make. Okay. Well, I can see someone Mm. using that Mm. passage to critique what Emily and I were saying earlier. Like, I feel like what both of us were of the opinion of was that like someone should not be giving to the church if they cannot afford it. Hmm. If it's going to like hurt your other obligations like rent or groceries or taking care of yourself, then you shouldn't give. Like, I feel like that's what we were saying. Mm-hmm. And I think someone could try to use this passage to critique that. But Emily, correct me if I'm wrong, but like in that culture that Jesus is talking to, the widow giving her last two pennies. I've always, I've always heard people compare it to pennies. Mm-hmm. I know it's not the equivalent, but right. we could just call it her last couple dollars like that didn't mean that she was not going to be taken care of, right? Right, right. I, yeah. And I've heard people try to use this passage to justify, like, no matter what it takes, like, you have to give to God, like, almost in a prosperity gospel kind of way. Like, sure. no matter what it costs, no matter the sacrifice, like, give to God above everything else. And I don't think that's good theology. No, I think what this story speaks to is, I think, just the idea of how we approach giving. And so mm-hmm. the people who have the abundance, who, whether they're flashy about it or not, if they just give because they solely want to give, sure. But if they're giving because they either A, feel pressured or B, are seeking praise, you know, the woman wasn't doing that. She wasn't saying, oh, look, I'm giving my last two pennies. Ha ha ha. Clink, clink. You know, it's mm. it was she she was just giving. She was just this is what she had. At the time, this is as far as we know, and she just gave that, and she mm. felt moved to do that. We don't know, right. you know, her reasoning behind it, but if Jesus is willing to say, hey, this is how you need to give, it's showing us that if you're not being flashy, if you're doing it because you love what's going on, because you feel moved to give regardless of what other people say, that is mm. what is important. You know, know, and and we don't know from the text if, like, she was given more. 
We don't know. Oh, that's true. But I was thinking more of like, she might have like already taken care of her other obligations and like that's what she had left over. Yeah, we, it right? like, we don't know her circumstances. That. And if I remember right, in the story, in the comparison, isn't Jesus comparing her to someone who was like loudly giving versus quietly giving? Or am I confusing no, examples? That's that's confusing examples because the, the story okay. is literally like he's watching people give and then a poor widow comes and throws in two pennies. And then he calls his disciples and says, uh, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. And maybe you could read that more for her than more for them, right? Because the next verse is for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. So I think the story does say like, Hmm. I don't think it's a a radical hermeneutical move to say like she made herself radically uncomfortable in giving these two pennies um, because that may have like he says, this is all that she had her whole livelihood. And I think further pushing into the the cultural context is like the reason Jesus says so much about making sure you care for the widow and the orphans in your midst is because the Jewish people were not doing that. Like Hmm. orphans and widows were not being taken care of. And Jesus had to say like, shouldn't Hmm. it be obvious that you take care of these people? Because all of a sudden, I mean, like this is the way we read Ruth is like all the men folk die. And now Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws are left like left women left widows and the reason that's important is because they are now like incredibly economically vulnerable because the men were the people who brought home the bacon i mean not bacon because they were kosher but stupid joke um (laughs) like being a widow leaves you economically vulnerable and now here's this poor widow in her poverty Mm -hmm. giving the last of what she had her whole livelihood as jesus says so I don't think right. it's I don't okay, think it's a stretch a to say Jesus wants us to be uncomfortable with the way we give, but we don't get a window into her heart or like we don't get a window into her inner dialogue as she does so. And that's well, the that's shortcoming. True, but I've also heard people use that to justify like prosperity giving. Like you're think- gonna give and like God's gonna give more to you because of that. Josh, I think the scripture well, that you were thinking of was Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Oh, that is what I'm thinking. There of. it is. As right. hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And, mm. you know, again, people may tie that to a financial thing. But I think it's just the sense of if you feel that you have to announce whether you're giving time, yourself, money. If you feel like you have to proclaim it and people have to be notified of what you're doing, you're not really giving at that point. Like, that's not the true essence of giving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we as Christians need to be reminded of with tithing, with special offerings, with giving to charities, whatever the case may be, is what is the sole purpose of that? Are you giving because you feel moved to give? Or are you giving because you want people around you to know that you do this and you want praise for it? Because mm. in the end, you're losing the essence of what the joy of giving is when you mm. start announcing it to people, when you're asking for praise, when you're saying, hey, look at how great I am. But then there's this woman over here who's very quiet, who's very to herself, who gives all that she has, expects nothing in return, expects no praise. And we don't know if she could give more. We don't know what her situation is. But because she's giving for the essence of what that brings, that is what is important. Sorry, I do want to come back, though. Like, 
I do think we actually do know what her situation is. I do think because the text is telling us her situation is dire and she gave her whole livelihood and is she she's at the very end. Like I, I I'm sorry I keep drilling that home, but like I I don't think it's a radical move that this text is telling us like giving should be uncomfortable in the way we're willing to support I, our community. I agree, but I also think Jesus is not asking us to give until we have nothing. Like Jesus doesn't want us to live in <laughs> without something, you know. This woman, I'm sure she has given all that she has, but she still has something to where she can continue her livelihood. Yeah, I think I think there's probably a lens here of like we're trying to interpret this as individualistic capitalists. Like we mm-hmm. live in a capitalistic structure. So like our whole way of living is built around like a yearly salary and living wage and like making yeah. sure we can pay things on a monthly basis and whatever. Like that but that's not the culture they were living in. So I think that's that might be where we're ooh, coming to an ooh. impasse is like we're not ooh. we're not able to lift that part out of the story yet. Oh, I have a point. I have go a point. Josh, go, Josh. Go, Josh. I go. just remembered that like that culture like tended to function with days wages, whereas we yeah. tend to function with like like bi-monthly or yearly wages. And no one's getting paid on the year. Most everybody is getting paid every two weeks, right? Or, or contractually. True. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. monthly. Or at the, yeah, at the end of a contract, but like that culture tended to function with days wages. So it is possible, I think, that even if she was at the end of her livelihood, she was giving like at the end of the day. Hmm. That could be, yeah. Like she had already gotten her wages. Like she, we don't know like what her income was like. She might have been getting more money the next day. Like it's okay. very possible, I think, that she was at the end of her livelihood, giving the end of her money. But that doesn't mean she didn't have more money coming in. And I think that's where the essence of the story is. It was just how she was giving, not necessarily the amount. It was yeah, just the idea of how the people with the abundance, they could go about their day willy-nilly and not see how it impacts the world around them. Whereas mm. she was giving what she could and she she understands what is happening because she can live. She's a part of this community that may be impacted by this giving it very in itself. Mm, that's true. Mm. But Stephen, I also agree with you that I think Jesus is calling us to be uncomfortable, but I think it's oh, more absolutely. found in uh, passages where he's talking about like, it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and sure. it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Right. And like, G- I think Jesus is calling us towards something more radical where we like give our entire lives. Like we were kind of talking about like how Emily feels like, like her job is more than a job. Like it's a way of right. life. Yeah. It's a holistic yeah. gift. It's like, if you're only giving money and not serving with time or your, your own spiritual gifts. Yeah. Like you can, you can pay lip service to it or literally you can just sure. pay money to it. But if you're not like boots on the ground, like living it out, that's, mm-hmm. that's probably what Jesus is saying. So like, I like this day wages angle for this story. I don't think we can make the leap to say like, it might be the end of the day and she's, she's giving what she had left over. I also think that there's a there's a pretty strong textual argument to say our Christian giving should be of the first fruits. Like this is what's laid for us right from Abel, but also like this is how the tithe is laid out in the Mosaic laws. Like you give of the top and the best of the and the first fruits to support the goings on of the tabernacle and the temple and support the Levites, and then you live off the rest. But, yeah, but weren't so the Pharisees like, doing that and Jesus critiqued them? Mm-hmm. Do we have a story for that? I mean, they he 
critiques them a lot, but I'm not sure we have one where he's specifically saying yeah, that's you're not true. I guess this. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I don't have a specific reference, so that's a good point. Because I, th- I think there's what- something compelling about the first fruits that seems to be an ideal, right? Like this is mm-hmm. we're told explicitly, like this is the reason why Abel's offering and like generous gift back to his creator and sustainer was acceptable when Cain's was not. Uh, well, I've also heard people use the first fruits phrasing just like to justify tithing and that like by doing that, that like kind of like quote unquote lets you off the hook for any more giving. Right. Which is very much an FPU, like Dave Ramsey thing is like you give 10% on the first day of the month and then you budget the rest and budget like an animal. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how is what you're saying different from that? I'm not sure it is, but I'm not sure he's wrong. Mm. Oh, oh, okay. Maybe at the end of the day, what this just shows us, and I mean us as in like Christians as a whole, is money is something that we will never have completely figured out in the works Mm. of the church. You know Mm. what I mean? I think we could tear scripture apart for hours on end trying to come to a conclusion of how to make sense of the story of the widow giving her two Mm. cents. Mm -hmm. And really, I think when we focus so much on just the money element, we're losing sight. I mean, the the money is important, but there's more to it than that. Right. And I think that's where the holistic element of scripture comes into play. And that's where cherry picking scripture and trying to, you know, prove a point with certain passages can be harmful. And Mm. this is what is a prime example of that is trying to tear apart something to to make a point i'm not saying that's what we're doing but it can lead to that and this is just a topic that we're a church churches are still trying to figure out how money works y'all like we do not have it we don't have it figured out that's why i think the widows might think is so interesting because like steven can see something in that i can see something different in that prosperity teachers can use that for a completely different thing well, exactly. like if we're yeah. only focusing on that one story, I'm not saying any, it can be really hard to read to just read between the lines. I'm not saying any one of these stories can't be weaponized, right? Like any one of these right. can be weaponized right. for a person who is looking to make more money off of guilting people into giving toward like a divine cause. I that's right. That happens. <laughs> like I yeah, that would be naive of me to say that doesn't happen, right? Like Kenneth Copeland, like that guy. <laughs> That guy does not need what he has. <laughs> but I think I think if we're taking scripture seriously, like there's a ton of wrestling. And, and Emily, you're totally right. Like we're still we're figuring it we're out. We're still trying to figure it out. Thousands and thousands of years later since Abraham like laid out this pattern for us of like, oh, I'm giving out of generosity. But then it is transactional like and, and, that, and then it comes into like the culture you live in and that culture's philosophy around money. Mm-hmm. I think the other uncomfortable thing, too, is like, despite the fact that we live in the most wealthy of nations in the history of the world, money seems to be like a super awkwardly taboo topic for Americans. And that's just that's that's hard to map on top of trying to figure out how to how a church should handle money as well. Yeah, Because, like, I think I think we can see in Paul's letters, like when he talks about the gifts being offered to him. And the way churches are even sharing amongst themselves, like, hey, you saw that the Philippines needed help, so you sent them money or sent them resources and sent them food. Mm. That's that's what we're all called to do here. It's 
I, I love mm-hmm. Emily. I think my greatest takeaway from this episode is the fact that when we're called to generosity as Christians, we're not called to like an amorphous concept of like, yeah, I'm supporting Africa or whatever. Like when you're called to tithe to a church is because you actually do want to see those lights continue to come on and you're actually paying for the bread in which we se- celebrate Eucharist and you're paying for Emily mm-hmm. Reddinghouse to like have a living, live in a parsonage, raise a baby and all the, like if like our money and get my butt up on Sunday morning, <laughs> our money gets a lot. Like once you can put flesh and blood on it, like knowing you're supporting Emily doing her pastoral work, the flesh and blood element of like our generosity I think is probably what the most important thing scripture is trying to lay out for us. Like support the people around you, like be willing to give of your time and your money to make sure that they do pay rent and that they do have Mm. water and they do have like a roof in a Montana sub zero winter. Right. Mm -hmm. I would also add it's knowing that you're going to give and you may or may not fully see that blossom mm-hmm, right. but to know that it will yeah no absolutely that There's it's that faith not element. it's not an immediate payback mm-hmm. so to speak it's you're gonna you're gonna get your money's worth essentially and and that's the thing is if you truly believe in what is happening in the life of the church and what you are called to give to mm. you give because you feel moved to and you know that it it's gonna help so so many seeds and help benefit in so many ways and whether or not that becomes a monetary thing sure but if it's if it's something greater than if you put in something and it becomes something more that is what is important it's like that we used Mm. to play this game at youth group where we were given a penny and we had to go around to all the businesses and towns and say i have this penny can you give me something better and yeah bigger and better Bigger and better. And no joke, people yeah. would be like, yeah, here's my car. Yeah. Like, go drive my car to show that you got a car from this penny. Like, you can get bigger and better. And we can have this vision together to say, we're wrestling with what money has a value on in the life of the church mm-hmm. and how we handle money and how man like money is mishandled. Mm-hmm. And that's something we're going to continue to wrestle with. But what we do know is the essence of giving and what we are giving ourselves to and what we see the value in giving for the livelihood of the work of the church. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with the text, or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color, off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah, no, there's, there's an angle to it as well. What am I trying to say? One of my favorite podcasters, he always says like money is always just a byproduct of value creation mm. on, on the mm. other side of that. Right. You're speaking to the bigger and better. Like, can you just one up me? Like I have a penny. Can you give me a dollar for it? I'll trade. And no one has a reason to do that. But on the other side of things, 
and I think probably speaking more to Josh's philosophy of generosity being tied to transactionalism and that that's not a bad thing is like money created is a byproduct of value creation. Like, and, and this is essentially what, what churches, it almost feels like what churches are asking for. Like, are we providing enough value to you in the way, you know, our religious structures support you as a member of our congregation? Like, can you think of all the relationships you wouldn't have had you not come to church? You know, like, there's mm, all sorts of well, value. I don't think that's what churches are asking for. I see what you're saying, but I think the more important ask is that the church is trying to do community work and mm-hmm. impact people's lives, not just give value to you on a Sunday morning. Like, okay. I think they're making a bigger ask than just like, are we providing you valuable content? I think their ask is like, oh. we're trying to make like good community work happen. Sure. Okay. And you can be a part of that with us. I think that that's the bigger ask. So do you think that's the same ask? And I'm literally, I'm not trying to segue us here just so we can make the pitch for ourselves, but like, is that the same <laughs> ask we're, we're doing when we start a Patreon or is it more a literal like value creation trade? Like, Hey, you pay us money, you get access to our discord and you get to like have these conversations. Cause like, we are situate situating ourselves in a very weird blurry line between like, are we a ministry or are we just a business? And we like to talk on the internet in public. <laughs> are we in the religious business? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, I was going to like say, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one. I, that I think we're a so little telling. bit closer to, uh, the Levites being supported by Israel. Oh, sure. But only in that they are like doing the work and their work is religious and they are expecting people to support them if they want the work to continue. Right. That's, but that's what you're saying we're doing? But, well, it is a little bit different because like that also happened in a very immediate social context. Like they were there. It kind of goes back to what you were just saying, Stephen, about like there being flesh and blood involved and like supporting mm-hmm. real people. Right. And I think that there's some churches out there that like kind of blur the line and instead they like ask people to donate to like this amalgamation and it's not as obviously flesh and blood and they just ask people to give for giving sake but like they're not asking people to give to like support specific people. And I sure. think that that's why I see a correlation is because like when we ask when a podcast us or otherwise ask for money, it's specific people asking their direct right. consumers to support something that they want to see continue. And that to me seems like the closest biblical equivalent, I guess. I think yeah, that but makes I, sense. I don't think the Levites were asking for it. I think the Levites were pretty much resting in the fact that they had a, a document, a, a scripture or a tradition that was basically telling other people to support them. I don't, I don't, I don't see our right. relationship. Yeah. It was the, more of a social contract than an sure. ask. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I know it's a hard one. It's a hard one. It's, but I really liked your point about flesh and blood because like that's honestly why I as someone who has benefited from church finances and both of you have too, I still mm-hmm. have really weird feelings about giving to a institution. I feel mm-hmm. much better giving my money to specific people. Yeah. Mm. Like I have really weird feelings okay. about it. What do you, what do you mean specific people? We didn't even talk about it and we've like already gone over like our like normal recorded time. <laughs> and like I still have way more feelings about stuff like that. Th- yeah. So 
Yeah, I think I think there is something. Can you speak some more more about what you mean by like I give to specific people? Are you referring to the fact that you well, give to like Dan Koch for his podcast? You have permission. Uh, sort of. Yeah, that's part of it. But I okay. also am balancing that with the element of like I want to take Jesus seriously when he says like don't pray on the corners just to be seen by others. Like I do think sure. Emily's right that 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 we should tie money in there, right? And like don't give to just be seen by others. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happens in the church a lot, uh, way more than it should. Yeah. Like, I think that, oh, for sure. Like, I honestly think it happens consciously and unconsciously. I think it happens unconsciously when like plates are being passed and you literally see people give into the plate. Like, it is right. socially reinforced. Or you get the handed the, yeah, you get handed the plate and you see the 50s and 20s in there and you're like, yeah. here's my $3. Versus like mm-hmm. anonymous or digital donation. Well, and that's one thing that we've, um, even just in the midst of COVID, we've had to stop passing the plate. But we've Ooh, actually, yeah. Ooh, we've actually just, li- we leave the plate at the entrance. And mm-hmm. we don't know, you know, people can give as they're coming in or they can give as they're leaving, but we don't know who gave. We don't know what amount unless right. they write a check and obviously their name's on the check. Yeah. But having online giving allows people to be anonymous and it allows them to actually mm-hmm. schedule their tithing to where they're like, yeah, you can take this amount of money out of my paycheck, like out of my bank account each month. Right. Yeah, the auto know? pay feature. And that is more comforting, I think. Like, I know my mom does that. She's like, I have this amount each month. And like, I feel good knowing that I don't have to remember to bring my checkbook or my wallet to church. And then right. I feel this guilt if I don't put the money in the in the basket. And hmm. she's still feeling her call to give. And she knows that she has the capacity to do it. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so there's there's that element where making generosity just a literal like one time decision and just setting the auto pay and allowing it to be essentially just a built in habit. Like it's just a foregone conclusion that I've decided to give this much money from my paycheck, you know, I get paid on Thursday and Friday, the church drafts out the money that I've told them I would give. I think, mm. I think there's value to that. I like uh, Josh, you've caught it, called it a spiritual practice. I think right. part of tithing and part mm-hmm. of generosity ought to be habitual in the way that, you know, like my old church used to call it like literally, you know, we have the feature online, set it and forget it. Mm. I don't love the forget it aspect of it though, because that's, yeah, the, I don't either. The point, the point of being generous is that it means something to you to give it. And also, I still think I can make a at least an argument from Mark saying it should be a little a little uncomfortable. So it should be on the forefront of your mind every time it happens. Yeah, I do think it should at the very least be mindful, if not right intentional, like you should feel the cost of it. Not that it right. should like put you back like you shouldn't go like I don't think anyone thinks you should go into debt to be generous like Dave Ramsey doesn't think that. Definitely not. Right. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I don't think it should put you back, but I do think that you're kind of onto something that like you should notice the cost of it. Like you should be mindful about it. And I right. do feel like that that's what most churches mean, regardless of what they think about tithing. I do think that that's what is meant by people distinguishing between tithes and offerings. Like yes. I've always heard offerings described as like, this is a one-time donation. Like we're trying to make like yeah. a special offering towards this thing. Yeah, versus like the tithe is meant to be recurring. And I think that that's the idea of generosity that I do really like is that mm-hmm. there is a special like spiritual practice in repetitive generosity, regardless of what you think about what tithing means. And Definitely. that Ooh. tithing or and or offerings actually should 
be routine, but not in the sense that you become numb to it. You know, mm, yeah, that idea of, yeah, you know, set and forget. I agree. You shouldn't forget it. You should mindfully and intentionally remember each week, each month, whatever it is that you set yourself to do it. Have it be routine, have it be habitual for you, but not in the sense of where it just becomes numb and you wow. lose sight of what the importance. That's why I tell my parishioners like, hey, many of you may have the sense of coming to church on Sundays because it's routine. It may not always be because you get mm. something spiritual from it. It may be because that's what you grew up doing as a kid. You went to church, whether or not you wanted to go, your butt was in the pew. And so this was deeply ingrained into who you are to attend church mm. on Sundays. It can't be numb. It can't be this just mundane, everything you do, just it's erased from the forefront of your mind. No, it has to be in the forefront of your mind. It has to be an intentional space and an intentional time where you say, yep, this is my routine. I'm going to church, but this is why mm. I'm going to church. The yeah. same should be for giving. This is why I'm giving, not just, oh, yeah. yep, time to give. No, it's, oh, time to give, but this is why I'm giving. Which is why Josh's word mindful is absolutely the right word there, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you're, it's, there's an intention behind it, even though it happens every week or every oh, two sure. paychecks or, right? There's, there's always the intention that should be at the forefront of your mind when you enter into that space. But that's why I think it is a little bit different. Kind of going back to what you said earlier, Stephen, about um, is the church just making the same ask that podcasts like us make when they start a patreon sure are they just doing the same like value creation like give to this because you're getting value out of it ask i do think that that's the mm -hmm. difference there is that like when you are routinely uh like attending the same space or being part of the same community like i think that that's different than just like setting and forgetting it so sure so what do you think though because uh, for me, it is a mindful thing to give to the Patreons I give to, like Dan Koch or the Bad Christian Podcast, whatever. Sure. It is mindful. Um, like I know when it's coming out of my paycheck. I I see the charge go through, and I also get a ton of value out of their extra episodes and the the chance to be part of their paywall communities, like the Discord servers or the Facebook groups or whatever. I get a tremendous amount of value out of that. But so this is something that we're gonna have to have i don't know if we need a stance on it i don't think stance is the right <laughs> word but what what happens when we get the first person giving us a comment saying i'm so glad ravel exists i you're my tithe mm. because mm -hmm. that happens that has happened in the bad christian club and in the dan coke facebook group that i'm a part oh, of like people people literally say like yeah i consider me giving to you as part of my tithe uh, i say I think, good for them <laughs> sure yeah okay I, I think it depends Go on ahead, what people Josh. mean by that, but I also don't think that that's a bad thing. Like, I could take that to mean this is my, like, routine act of generosity. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. But also, like, I give to some Patreons, like, of things that I listen to and support, but, like, it is kind of a set it and forget it thing for me, all, honestly. Like, I, oh. sure, I'm kind of mindless about that, but I, like, want, I want to be able to say that I'm supporting them monthly. So I guess it mm -hmm. is kind of mindful, but I am like kind of setting and forgetting it. But there are other things that I like give to routinely that to be honest, I prefer to be quiet about. Like I don't feel comfortable voicing it. And to be honest, I have very few friends who know about it. Oh, sure. Because like I, I want to take seriously, like Jesus says, like don't give to be seen by others. I want to like, I want to spiritually act and i want to spiritually experience what it is like to give generously 
without doing it for the sake of wow. being known to be giving. And that's kind of hard to wrestle with, honestly. Emily, did you have something else you were going to say? Well, I was just going to say, if, if these are things that are for the betterment of the community mm. or extending the work of God in new and wholesome ways, then if that's if they consider it to be a tithe, then they're they're moved to give. And I'm not gonna mm. I'm not gonna tell them to not use that vocabulary. If they wow. so feel moved to do so, then I'm so curious. Then that's being done. Like good yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious by that though, because like you you are the person who directly benefits from people tithing to a church organization. Partially. But again, yes, yes. The, uh, <laughs> there's two hours of audio like getting into some of those details but like as a person who is directly supported by church tithes you're still not threatened by the fact that someone might consider their tithe to a podcast as like their outflowing no. of generosity and the way they support community or no because or at the end of the day i know my work skill uh, my work is still going to be done okay the work that i have to do is still set before me and mm. You know, I know like each year I'm not guaranteed the same paycheck. You know, there will be fluctuations based mm. on where we're at as a church. And that doesn't mean. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. What? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't. Wait, are you saying that your salary or your stipend is not or whatever, the same each year? What? That's yeah. so interesting. But that doesn't mean my work diminishes or enhances just because of what I'm totally. getting paid. Mm. Yeah, and absolutely. I also think about the things that I am getting paid in the sense of what other people are not. Like, I don't have to pay for my housing. Oh, wow. Okay. I, yeah. Alex and I have this beautiful home. It's a four bed, three bath house that we Ooh. don't pay anything Jeez. on. We don't know. We don't owe rent. We don't pay the utilities like the church does that. Right. Mm. And it's the parsonage. Right. It's a parsonage. And so, yeah. you know, wow. it's that's an obligation of the church because they want a pastor. They they see the need to be filled. And so they pay for that. OK. You know, I think about my my insurance, you know, the fact that I can add Alex and it only goes, you know, I have to pay a certain amount from my paycheck just to add him. But it doesn't impact me in any way. Knowing wow. that I don't have to pay for my health insurance. Do um, you know by any chance the history of your parsonage? Like, was it built by someone from that church like forever ago or something? Uh, no. So actually, a lot of the times, the houses that are directly either connected or close to a church was originally the parsonage. And then, depending on the denomination, depending on the history of the community, Pastors saw that they wanted some distance from the church building. And mm -hmm. so a lot of times they will sell the original parsonage and they will buy new property. We do have standards as far as what the parsonage has required. Our book of discipline requires that there is a bathroom and handicap accessible rooms in any in all oh, parsonages. Wow. Um and so there are standards that have to be met, but I can I I live it's a three minute drive to the church. Um, but mm. the church does have the opportunity if they see there's a house on the market that would fit the needs better, they could sell the parsonage and buy a new parsonage. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah. So the church owns your yes. house. Then. Yes. Okay. Is it owned by, I don't, we don't have to get into the details, but I'm curious if it's owned by the denomination or like the individual community. The individual community. Interesting. Mm. 
I've lived in a parsonage before, but it was like literally right next door to the church. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like separated. And there are some that still have that, but a lot of the ones that I've seen or heard of people, a lot of my colleagues, it's not attached or near. There are actually some, it's like a 10 minute drive. For some, it's, you know, if they're serving multiple charges, they have to live in one of the two or three communities that they are serving at and yeah. travel between. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to keep us on this Patreon train because like, we we're creating a Patreon because we do want to create a, a greater sense of community beyond our discussion questions that we post on Instagram. Sure. So we're making uh, a Discord community available for people to come in and essentially be able to talk through these kind of questions in a place that's a lot more private. Feels a lot. I don't want to say safe, but like you know, like we know if you show up in the in the Ravel Discord community that you that you're supporting us with your money and essentially you're you are gaining access to us in that way but uh, the i mean there's so many different flavors about what we're asking when we ask people to join patreon like josh you've Mm -hmm. already spoken to like the levite angle or the value creation you know we're 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 trading so you get access to this if you give us a few bucks right there's all there's all sorts of stuff there and I'm I'm drawing a corollary and I'm really curious to ask Emily. So like we've already talked about like the mega church pastor guy who's supported by the church, but also makes money above and beyond that because of the book deal. So essentially like what we're doing with our Patreon is kind of walking you into that exact situation where you do, you mm-hmm. are supported by the church, but also you're kind of on this side venture as well. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. have you thought about that much and like how, how you would begin to describe? That's a good question. Begin to describe the line between there. Like, how would you defend yourself if somebody discovers, you know, years and years down mm. the line that well, you're making like a big yeah, chunk what if of you money? Make millions from Ravel, Emily. right? A part of me, I and I don't know. Maybe this is up for private <laughs> private discussion. But like, what if a part of me didn't want to receive that? Okay. Oh, that's a good. Wow. Point. Like, what if I? Yeah, because like to date we haven't made any. Yeah. So like, no. what if I wanted it just to go between the two of you? Oh. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because while the monetary value would be helpful and is something you know I'm contributing to a service of some sort, mm-hmm. but again, I'm looking at this as this is feeding me spiritually. This is something that I look right. forward to. This is something that's helping me with my ordination and helping me as a pastor. So. I actually like I I don't know if I want to like make money. Well, you know what, Emily? What if we make it into like an Abram McKizeldeck situation and we just like cut you a bit, whatever we make anyway, and it's like, you know, you do whatever with it that you want to. And if that's the case, then I'm I'm gonna give it directly (laughs) to my church. (laughs) Sweet. Well (laughs) you know, that's a good question though, Stephen. That's there are good works that I see what this is doing and I don't I don't feel the need to reap in that way, if that makes sense. Because I'm reaping totally. in different ways. Is that, Does is that there just a, like crush your dreams, Stephen? No, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious if there's a sense of guilt driving that, that sentiment no. or it's a sense of Absolutely generosity. Not. No guilt behind it whatsoever. Because I, hmm. it would be really easy to hear you say that and be like, oh, wow, like... <laughs> How has this not come up yet as we designed this Patreon experience? <laughs> like, are we not having the right kind of conversations as we go into this? But at the same time, like, 
you you've been supportive of the idea you've helped us draft all sorts of writing projects for it and in my mind i i i almost want you to see your portion of it just as again as a reflection like my my philosophy around money here is like it's a neutral tool and if we're making money off of Ravel because people choose to support us on Patreon, like you should see the byproduct of your value creation, like what you offer Ravel. But now you're telling me like, that's not even why I'm here. Well, no, like I, I do, I do. And I anticipate that I will see it, but I know that that's not why I'm doing it. And it's not to say that, oh, I don't need it. You know what I mean? Like, right. a, a little bit of spare change goes a long way, y'all. Absolutely. But, but it, I, I've, I think it's just for me knowing that I'm still going to put in the same amount of effort regardless of what we were to make off of it and mm-hmm. whether or not there's fluctuation. Like, that's not going to change how I'm approaching this at all. No, and, I, don't, I don't think it should. And it um, shouldn't. But this is just something for me that, if people want to give and we get a little bit from that or I get a little bit from that, you know, whether or not I choose to take it for myself or for advancing my church work, you mm-hmm. know, that that shouldn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. At the end of the day, it's still being done. So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point, Emily. Like I this was Pre, I think I messaged you guys. This was pre-2021. Like we hadn't even set up the Patreon yet. And one lady actually messaged us and yeah, like said she was putting together her finances for the next year and wanted to know if there was a way that she could support us as we were doing this. And honestly, mm-hmm. like I felt kind of blown away by that. Like Seriously. I've never done anything like this before. Just to like, I don't, she didn't use the word tithing, but like it kind of felt like that. Like, oh, she mm-hmm. like is setting something aside to... Like, because she like wants to give to us. And honestly, that felt pretty humbling. But it also, this was like before we had this conversation, it did remind me of like that idea I have about generosity being transactional and that that right. is a good thing. Like, yeah. it is good for people to give to something that they are getting something from. from and I think that yeah. it sh- it's better when it's in a context like that versus someone blindly giving to something they don't know anything about. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, Where, I mean, we should also say, like, this podcast existed how many episodes and how many months before we started a Patreon? It's not like, I don't want... Oh, for sure. I don't want any part of our ask for our Patreon campaign to ever be like, without you, this show literally would not exist. It's like, no, we've proven that it exists. <laughs> we've proven right. that we can just foot the bill for it because because we are reaping so many spiritual benefits. We literally... We literally just had a two-hour conversation. We were planning, this is part two, episode two of whatever we're calling this. And we were planning on this going one hour. And we just talked for two because we had so many thoughts about tithing and generosity. We did not plan to have this. Right. I feel like that in itself totally goes to show where we're at in talking about things like this. But never will you hear me on a podcast project launch a Patreon and say, like, without your support, this podcast would not exist. It's like, I don't podcast for the money. I would right. love I would love to see some of it as a reflection of the value I'm creating on a free podcast feed. For sure. But it's, it's never driving me to be like, oh, you know, like, unless we get this many Patreon patrons by this time in the month, like, I don't know if we're going to be able to keep the lights on, metaphorically. <laughs> or like, I don't know if I'm going to be right. able to pay for the hosting or pay for the Adobe Audition to edit. Like, that has never mm-hmm. been the case. I've been podcasting for over a year now. And, like, 
I've only sunk money into it. I've never made money off of it. <laughs> but that's right. But Emily, I think that's that's something for you to consider is like we're not here for the money. But if the money starts coming in because people out of their sense of generosity wanting to support us, like the very, very kind and considerate person Josh just brought up over that message, like I, there shouldn't be a sense of guilt in that. And, and maybe this oh. should be an offline conversation for us to figure out how we how we handle this going forward. But like, yeah, no, I, I actually really admire the fact that you can just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not here for that. So like you guys. Well, that's the thing is, like, I don't I don't, I don't have know. guilt. You know, it's this is just my approach. I, mm. you know, pastors typically have fees for funerals, for weddings, for baptisms, things like that. I mm-hmm. do not. My personal philosophy oh. is wow. that is a gift that I get to be a part of this moment in your life. Like uh, you probably know Cade Bowman, Stephen, obviously. Yep. He and his wonderful wife, Abigail, they were my first wedding in, back in August. And I remember the the day of like literally hours before her mom came down and was like, okay, so like, what, what's your fee? And she like had her checkbook open. I was like, nothing. And she looked at me and she's like, you're funny. And I was like, no, really? And she looked Mm, at me with this shock and she's like, you don't want anything. I was like, no, I was like, I have known Cade since he was two. I have known Cade his Mm. whole life. This is something when he asked me to officiate his wedding, I was moved to tears. This is my gift to them that I get to be a part of this moment in their life. Right. I don't need a dollar value on that. This is so much more than anything I could ever value. She literally was crying at wow. that thought. And she was like, I can't not pay you. And I was like, yes, you can, because this is my gift. Like, I don't, please do not give me any money. And I remember after the wedding was over, she came over and she gave me this bag and it was full of all this liquor and chocolate. And <laughs> she was like, you won't take money. So take this. And I was like, you know what? If you want to give me extra liquor and alcohol and chocolate, <laughs> wow. I'll, I'll gladly take it. That's but funny. I just don't see how I can charge people mm. for a sacrament. I just Oh, that, oh, that's the next episode, I think. There's Hello. A, there's a difference that's between That's a good line. Like the church has a fee for people who use the building, sure, but that's separate mm. than my fee. That's wow. a, there's a yeah. difference there. So they, yeah. they pay the church to use their building, to use their equipment, to use the reception hall, whatever. But I won't take money for that. So, like, this is a service for me. This is my gift. I don't want to receive, you know, I want, if people want to pay, I'm not going to tell them, well, don't pay. But I want you to, like, I want to see the work through you because this is my gift. I'm able to share in my theology and have these Jeez. conversations and hear other people that's payment for me because that's how I'm living. Mm. Like this is what I am so, called to do. So Josh, I think what we just learned is that Emily is a very bad capitalist, um, <laughs> <laughs> but neither was Jesus though. So like yes. she's got that on. Us. Yes. <laughs> Take that. That's yeah. That's really there's, funny. Oh my gosh. There's so much there. Well, Emily, I mean, that, like, like I could see someone making the critique that like when you refuse money, it like, incurs a greater social reciprocity so of course she like wanted to give you a gift and like uh, but of course like i i don't think you were just like making a ruse no absolutely i had no idea like like, i think that you can be completely genuine in refusing 
money and still be accepting of a gift when it's given. Like I think right. that's yeah. completely warranted. And yeah. I also don't think if you're listening to this and you've made it all the way through to the end of this <laughs> Part second two. episode in our first series on financial peace, because we're <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to make you <laughs> like get rid of all your debt or something. I don't know. But right. like if you've made it to the end of this, first of all, thank you because Wow, um, that was a long conversation. This is a but lot. secondly, I hope no one is listening to this and thinking that this is just like an elaborate ruse to get Patreon supporters no. because, uh, like, right. we haven't even had a single person support us. Like, we're not, I hope it doesn't seem like we're fishing for people's pockets. But, like, obviously, we're a podcast now that has a Patreon. And if you go support us, we will be very thankful. But also, don't feel pressured. Like, don't feel pressured to give to us just because we're asking like we are not a church that you tithe to and that you're required to give to to support to continue like it's i hope it's obvious that like we're going to do this thing whether we're (laughs) whether we uh it becomes our day job or not like we all have different means of income like we don't need to be supported so i hope it doesn't seem like a ruse just to get people to sign on to patreon do you think it adds I'm really not intending to add a layer of complexity, but I think it would be important to mention at this point, like in our talks about our patrons, we want to build in like a charity giving aspect to even, even the money we see come through Ravel. Right. We want to build Mm -hmm. in a system where we're forwarding, like paying that forward and also giving it on to organizations we believe in. And that's something we we haven't made official among the three of us, but honestly, I kind of like the idea of leaving it open and waiting for people to join Ravel, and then we can collect suggestions and like, what do we as a Ravel community believe in? Oh yeah, here are some options. Here are some ideas we've already talked about, but like, where where would you like to see some of the generosity as an organization go beyond? Mm. I, oh yeah, and again, I like that idea. I don't mm-hmm. think that adds a layer of like. Hey, join Ravel because we're also going to be doing charity work. Like that's not, that's not how I want right. to signal that. But it is important to us that we also kind of forward on that generosity, as shown in you know Melchizedek and Abram's story. So, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, guys, there's there's so many things here. <laughs> there is. <sighs> so, but honestly, Emily, you brought up a really good point earlier that like two thousand years later, the church. And Christians like still we're still figuring it out. A struggle with money, and B have not figured out exactly how to use it. And oh, for C, sure. I think you're absolutely right, Stephen. That like it's so obvious that money is just a tool and a conduit that we like interact with and through, and mm-hmm. have used to fund lots of great things, and also have used it to harm people. And mm-hmm. that discussions mm-hmm. like this that are two hours long can't even like solve it. Like we can talk all we want about <laughs> what we think the Bible says about money, but like, yeah, at at the end of the day, there is not a clear cut answer about how the church and Christ followers are to use it. Yeah, and for sure. That's it's hard. It's very hard so, to build a dogma out of so many texts yeah. that seem yeah. to that are just left nebulous enough. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's a complicated topic, but we're yes. so glad that if you're listening to this, you've made it Oof. all the way. Oof, you've done it. Plus, as <laughs> as someone who uh, wants to take Jesus seriously and wants to be generous, I really appreciate you two talking about this for so long because I think uh, this is yes. something mm. that's really important. To Thank me. you. Love it. Well, I don't think we need to belabor the point that we have a Patreon <laughs> that exists. So 
Check it oh, out. Oh, we do? Do we have a Patreon? <gasps> Check it what? out. Ne- this is the first time hearing about it. Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> Patreon.com slash Ravel Pod is the place to go. Uh, see what this community could offer for you or just out of the generosity of your heart or however right. churches say that, you know, whatever. Emily, would yeah. you benedict us out of this this roller coaster of a conversation? <laughs> uh, whether you tithe your money, your time, yourselves, think of the woman in Zimbabwe when they were passing around the offering plate. And instead of putting in money, she stood inside of it. Just think of the ways that you can help the betterment of God's work in the world. Your offering is what you make of it. And just know that you will see the sowing and the reaping of this work and it's for God's glory and we're raveling this together this crazy topic we're in this together amen amen